Welcome to Connex, a global leadership platform for construction executives. Uh, today, I have Matt with me. I can't pronounce your last name, Matt, so you're going to have to do it. Debarra. Debarra. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. So it's not spelled that way, okay? I mean, just uh, <laughs> so uh, so uh, I'm here with Matt today, Matt Debarra, and uh, I want him to talk about himself a little bit and about his company. So, Matt, tell us about, first of all, yourself, you you, you know, I know you're in L.A. now. I know you're from Boston, but I don't know much more about you. So tell me your story, where you grew up exactly and how you end up where you are. Yeah, great, great. Um, so really excited to be on. Thank you for having me, first and foremost. Um, yeah, my, my background in construction is a little unique. Uh, you know, I grew up, I remember my first day in the field. Uh, I was nine years old, and for a while, my dad was trying to get me to work with him uh, in the family masonry business. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom's like, he's too young. He's too young. And there was one summer where I was cooped up and I had a lot of energy. And so my mom's like, you know what? Take him. Finally, you can have him. So <laughs> my, my, my first day at work, I was nine years old. And my dad walked me over to the cement mixer and there was a 94 pound bag of Portland cement. And uh, he's like, all right, showed me how to mix. And uh, I was like, I'm 60, 70 pounds. I was like, I can't lift that. He's like, I know. And he handed me a, a razor knife and he cut the bag. He's like, Four shovels is a half bag. Eight is a full bag. Half at it. And that was my first, <laughs> first day of construction. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, you know, it was interesting, though, because I never never received any favoritism, mm-hmm. uh, which I hated at the time. But uh, I developed fast in the industry because my dad taught me at an early age to be humble and that your path to growth is your greatness. Um and he really, really instilled that at a young age. And I, the only thing I can equate it to is the movie The Karate Kid, because that's, you know, now that I understand enough about it, I see that's what he was doing. You know, my first job was mixing mortar. My second job was picking up the trash on the job site. Um, but it was all about taking ownership and understanding the fundamentals um, before I grew into a mason uh, and then a foreman and then running crews. And then obviously, you know, having the business out here in Los Angeles, uh, Masonry and Concrete Company voted top masonry and concrete company by industry oversight last year here in los angeles so it's been a it's been a fun fun exciting experience isn't it funny how like some of those things that your parents do to you at the time you absolutely hate because i work for my father too and i absolutely hate and i have both of my sons work for my company and um i i have a tendency to treat them a little bit rougher than i have to other ever but in hindsight i know that they'll appreciate it you know like you because it taught you a lot of good things like work ethic so oh, yeah. yeah i mean it was yeah <laughs> so tell me about so, so tell me about your company you mentioned something briefly but you know how did you get started in your your company and what do you guys do today and kind of what does the future look like yeah that's a great great uh i love talking about that so you know i i came out to los angeles and i obviously masonry and concrete's my passion uh or one of them right so I moved out here and I wasn't sure that I was going to do that business here. Um, but when I realized that there was a lack of true masons, you know, like I had worked with guys who, you know, were in their 60s and 70s, you know, when I was a kid and they learned from people. So, I mean, if you trace that back, the people who taught them, I mean, you're going back, you know, late 1800s were, were the people that mentored them. So it was unique for me. And when I realized there was a shortage of this level of craftsmanship and pride in Los Angeles, um, you know, it was just one of those things I, I saw the need, I had the passion and I said, well, you know, we're going to grow a business here. And so, you know, we predominantly do, we do commercial, we do some public work, we do residential. So we're in all three sectors. 
um, and it's predominantly masonry and concrete work. You know what's interesting about like masonry and concrete is that there's been changes, but no significant changes. You know, I, I there's mixes, but it's it's essentially a lot of the same stuff. Uh, you know, just evolved over the generations. And that's what's interesting about it is I I feel like you know in my experience I feel like masonry and concrete is really like the last frontier. If you look at a lot of the mm -hmm. other other industries like electrical, HVAC, plumbing. Uh, even demolition. I mean, all these industries, if you look at a, a spec packet for a commercial project, you know, all the different divisions, division zero, two, three, four, I'm, I'm three and four, but you know, it's, you look at that and you, and you can see there's not much, I mean, even from what my dad did and my grandfather um, and my great grandfather. So I'm a fourth generation Mason in my family. They've been doing it for, we trace it back to Italy 102 years ago. Oh, wow. um, and, and not much really has changed at all. I mean, I have my grandfather's trowel, and it doesn't look much different than the one I used you know, <laughs> six years yeah. ago. So it's an interesting industry, to say the least. So, you know, uh, talking about, like, your business model, what what do you believe has been the most significant event that you've had, whether it's personal or professional, that has affected the business model you have today? Yeah, there's two, I think there's, there's two of them, right? The, and they kind of go tied together. Well, the, the biggest thing I remember was, my grandfather and my great, well, my grandfather who learned from my great grandfathers, they, they came over here from Italy in the early 1900s. And the only thing they knew was masonry and concrete. Um, and so they bought land, they dug a hole in the ground, built the basement walls, capped the first floor, and then lived in the basement while they built the rest of the house themselves. Both, both of them did that. And they never intended to be contractors. As a matter of fact, they were savvy, you know, entrepreneurs. Uh, what happened was kind of like me in Los Angeles was they were working for neighbors. And so when they built their house, the neighbor would say, Hey, can you help me with, you know, my wall or my brickwork? Or can you put in a pizza oven like you have at your house? And so my family ethos came from working for neighbors. And so one thing that really happens when you work for a neighbor is you don't do crappy work. They're not a good neighbor after that point. None of that. So, you know, my grandfather instilled in my father and myself at a young age, it was like, we didn't care if we, because we did commercial work even when I was young. I mean, we did, you know, we were doing post office. I did, you know, some of the most iconic restoration projects in, in, in Boston and outside of Boston. It was like the same ethos. It was like, you treat every client, whether it's a huge public job or a small residential job, like they're your neighbor. Um, right down to not putting trash on the ground or communicating openly and you know, making sure there's access, just all, all the basic things you would do to be a good neighbor, um, I think shaped a huge, huge portion of how I run this company um, and, and just who I am as a person. And, and it's funny, like if you you take that model, when I lived in Chicago, um, they were building a house across the street. And before they started, the builder came over and just introduced himself, shook my hand, said, if there's any problems at all, let me know. And he gave me his card and the whole deal. And then one of the concrete trucks came on my, you know, came on my grass, jumped the curb, went on my grass. I just called him up. He had somebody out there to fix it. And it was, it was no big deal. You know, and it's it's funny how, like, treat people like the way you'd like to be treated, how, how that, you know, actually, I always say people, treat people better than the way you would like to be treated, you know. So, um, so have you had any game-changing events that have occurred in your that have occurred in your events that you can think of that would be like you'd say that has been the game-changing event, uh, and it may just be COVID like we're going through right now. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, COVID's definitely been 
COVID's definitely been a big one. Game changing in terms of growth and perspective or, or you know, in terms of kind of like my, my as an executive and a leader of the business? Just in general, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, COVID is one of those things where I'm always somebody who, you know, if you're not innovating and growing and pushing the pendulum, you know, there's a saying that I have flat lines fall. And what I mean by that is if you look at your revenue, right, from an executive perspective, if your revenues are flat, chances are they're going to fall eventually, mm-hmm. right? So I always say flat lines fall. That's the management executive, you know, conversations we have. Um, and so for me, it's like, what are we doing to grow? What are we doing to offer more value? Um, and I think we always look at problems as opportunities. And so I would say COVID has been huge um, because, you know, we looked at it as an opportunity to, to really to serve and to develop our, we, for example, I'll, I'll make it tangible, right? We, we, in the residential sector, a lot of clients didn't want to meet right away. You know, they were scared of COVID and, but they still had work they needed to get done. Uh, retaining walls falling over, or, you know, I have to do my driveway. I'm in the middle of a project. It's a mud pit, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So what, what we did was we created a virtual process where they could send in photos and we could quote it within, you know, 10, 15%, give or take on most projects without them ever meeting us to know if we're a good fit. So, you know, it, it, it's COVID I think is, is, is the, the event, but the cultural mindset is, how do we take any problem and turn it into an opportunity? And, and that, you know, and the, it's, see, I, I, when you said about that, you, if you flatline, you'll decline. I remember, uh, I knew a, I used to work for a billion dollar construction company and the CEO used to always say, goes, you know, business is a tree. <laughs> it either grows or dies. There is no in between. <laughs> it never stays yeah. the same. So I just thought about that when you, when yeah. you said that. But um, so, how are you guys preparing for the future? It sounds like you know you have have changed the way you you're doing business right now to get you through this pandemic. But um, but in the future, in general, are you are you doing anything? Um, your industry is a very has a lot of history. There's a lot of things that have been done. There have been some innovations, but in generally, I mean you. Like as you said, you use the same. You've used the same trout, you know, as your grandfather. So, um, what what kind of things are you doing to prepare for the future? Well, I think you know one of the things we have to confront in construction is that there there's where where technology is going to be paramount, right? So I, I think that where what we're going to see is we're going to see more and more uh, sectors of construction become automated or you know, uh, they're going to shift in terms of how they're manufactured. They're going to be easier to assemble. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to embrace technology, number one. Um, and we're doing that in my company, you know, hence the virtual estimating, a, a lot of the things we do. I think another thing is, is integration. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I remember when I was in college, you know, seven, eight years, nine years ago, right. It was, we were looking at building information modeling or BIM, and it was, we were at the precipice of really making sure I think gone are the days where the trade just looks at their their individual trade, right? Mm-hmm. And the G, general contractor is the one piecing everything together. I think we need more, and, and the future is going to lend to more trades, really looking at how they integrate with other trades and taking ownership and responsibility. And I think those are the companies that are going to grow and develop and take more market shares. You know, if you have two subcontractors, right, from a GC perspective, and one of them is 10% less, but the one that's 10% more is going to oversee, you know, 
the they're going to take ownership of not just their sector but all the transition points right because it's always the middle point where a lot of things fall through it's like uh-huh. well you know the, the conduit wasn't shown on the plans so it's not my scope i'm just the framer it's like well but you knew the the you know the electrical had to go somewhere you know uh-huh. it's like i think and it ties together that ownership comes with technology and integration um and that's always been an area i think anybody in construction executive or you know owner can look at and see an opportunity because there's going to be a wider gap i think in terms of things that are just easy uh, another tangible example they created a stackable you know masonry product for a lot of the retaining walls like garden walls mm-hmm. so that was something where you know for us or even stonework used to be things that required artistry and talent and as soon as they came up with these two systems it was like your landscaper's doing it your gardener's doing it like it just cut a chunk of our business out uh which was fine because we were already leaning towards things that required more experience more technology more management we were offering value so to prepare and grow that's that's the way we've been able to do it so, you know, we talk about planning and about how important planning is. And, you know, uh, my company, we have a 10-year plan because my 10-year plan is that in 10 years, I'm going to be uh, transferring ownership from myself to my employees. Um, and uh, can you tell me about some of the things that you're going to do in your the next five years or 10 years or that, you're, that, you know, you guys have it as part of a plan? And I know it's probably been changed with the whole COVID thing, but, but maybe not. So do you have anything specifically that, you know, that falls in your five and 10 year plan that, that you'd like to, to see occur? Yeah. I mean, ours is, ours is pretty simple. There's, you know, there's the growth in the three sectors. So we want to, we want to be in residential, commercial, and public, um, and, and grow those three sectors. And we have revenue goals attached to those and location goals. But I think what I'm, you know, working with my team on is starting to think about the industry, right? So I'm in the masonry and concrete industry, and that's a subset of construction. So I'm looking at how can we add value for an entire industry? So in the, in the 10 year plan, we're looking at, you know, what does it look like to up level the training and the skills of the entire industry? and also how that affects construction as a whole. So I have a brand called The Undercover Contractor where I'm helping homeowners, uh, you know, avoid scams, prepare for, you know, uh, how to, you know, find, vet, hire and manage contractors is, is the subtitle. But it's, so we're really, you know, I, I have my team thinking about, okay, you know, Devara Masonry is a, is a staple in masonry and concrete. That's fine, we're gonna grow. But how do we start looking at the industry, um, our sector, and, and who we benefit, right? So looking at how do we benefit homeowners? How can we benefit general contractors um, to make the whole process better? Because everybody wins when that's the case. Do you, you know, kind of leaning on your skills and ability, what do you think has helped you in business? You know, uh, what skills and ability do you think that you possess that has helped the business overall? Well, I think, so it's, it's funny, I, I think, Growing up in the field the way I did helped me a lot in business because I was a young guy. I was 14, 15, running crews, right? So my dad, he didn't have a, a, a governor on the engine, so to speak. It was like uh-huh. as fast as I could get there, I was there. There was no seniority. There was no ego. It was like, look, if my, if my son can lay 350 block and you're laying 300, you're going to mix his mortar. Like that was it. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, he didn't care. So, but him being that kind of leader, it's like, that's great for him to say that and walk off the job. But if I'm the one who's got to deal with, you know, deal with the guy for the rest of the day, it's like, you learn, you, I learned through kind of progressing in the field. So that I think was important. 
the other piece that helped me a lot was taking an honest inventory of what I was truly good at. I think that was, for me was paramount as a leader. There were a lot of things that I did naturally that I learned in the field. Um, but, you know, uh, there are a lot of things that I'm, I was weak at and, and acknowledging those weaknesses, I think, was a, a key trait. A lot of my mentors and leaders that I studied, I mean, you'd hear them all the time. Like, I'm not the best at that or I have somebody else do that or, you know, it, it was it's this uh, level of, of openness and acceptance of, look, I'm not I might not be the best at this, but I'm open and humble enough to admit it and learn it. And and, and what you just said is. Uh is what I think a, a lot of people could could take some great value from. Um, that uh, it's it's hard when people ask you that question. I always tell people that, well, I can tell you a lot of I can tell you a lot about my weaknesses. Can't tell you too much about my strengths. <laughs> and doing it, yeah. what you said is key is t- taking an inventory of where you're at, and then surround yourself with people that will help prop up those weaknesses. Because you know you can work on your weaknesses all you you want, but that just makes you okay <laughs> you know but if you focus on your strength and then surround yourself with someone who can help you with those weaknesses it just it's amazing how how much i can help you in your business so um and that's what i honestly personally i love about being the ceo of my company is that now i can do the things that i really want to do and i'm good at rather than doing the things i don't really like doing but uh but what do you think uh is you know the key key strengths of your businesses uh, of your of your business today you know, I think we're very, I like, I'm a simple guy, right? So I think that's a huge part of it. I don't like to overcomplicate things. So I, I said, so that's part of it. And the other thing is, is we have a thing in my company is saying it's never lower the target. So when I look at a problem in an industry or a sector and our business, so for example, it was like, well, you know, there's not a lot of good masons and concrete finishers anymore, right? So we could lower the quality or we could recruit nationally and not lower the target. And so that's one of the things we've done, tangible examples. So one of the strengths of our company is looking at what needs to happen, regardless of how easy it is, how feasible it is, how much it costs. We have those those good, honest, um, we take good, honest inventory of it. So when we realize like, look, we need guys that are, you know, team members that are, are well-versed in, you know, masonry and concrete and even general construction because it benefits the client, right? In, in commercial, public, or even in, in residential, it's like, that's the target. And how we get there is a separate conversation. Um, I think that's really made us unique because it's forced us to do a lot of things where, you know, some people might want to just be like, well, you know, we can get by without it, or it's good enough. And, and that to, to us in our culture doesn't, doesn't work. It's, you know, this is what's the most valuable. And this is, you know, we're going to find a way to get there. You know, if you had to give advice to somebody both personal and professional that may be either entering the industry or in the industry and is looking to become an executive someday, what kind of advice would you give them both personally and professionally? I think, you know, the, the advice I'd give, I even think back to myself, you know, five, six years ago is, you know, uh, fall in love with the industry. Truly. I mean, that you know, I think that the, when there's a true love and a passion for your industry, not just the business management side, of it or vice versa if it's you know if you're you're in the field and you want to grow and progress falling in love with the business management side of it i think that's that's important um because your your mind will your mind will help you find ways and think when there's that level of passion and investment um and the other thing is is you know for me i can speak to myself was i thought too small for too many years um and i think it you know 
not setting small targets, not being afraid to think big. You know, I, I mean, there were, we, we could have done commercial work six years ago to give you an example. Right. But it was like, well, you know, we don't need to, we're good with these residential jobs. They're big enough. And it was making sense of things. And when at the end of the day, the day, our goal was to grow in this industry and to help the entire sector. So it's not setting small targets and not being scared to think big. You know, my biggest regret as a business owner, as an executive owning multiple businesses, is that I thought too small in the onset. And, and that's a and that's a t- tough one, you know, because, <laughs> you know, not and I think it gets even tougher the, the longer your business is in business and the longer you're doing it because you 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 set up a paradigm of where it's supposed to be. And I always uh, people. My, my people hate the word paradigm because I say it all the time, but it's truth. You have a paradigm. This is the way things are supposed to be, and it's tough to break that cycle, you know? So um, that's why I lean on a lot of other people and get a lot of advice from other people because especially young people, when the young people come in the company, I always try to get solicit input from them because it's funny what they can see and what I can't see. You know, so um, if you had to list out, you know, some of your biggest failures and some of your your biggest successes and what would you kind of everyone likes to hear a story here. So tell me a little bit about what you feel was some of your bigger failures and some you know, some of the, your biggest successes. Biggest failures. Gosh, I mean, we all we all have a lot of them. Some um, people don't like failures. Some people say learning experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of those. You know, I, I think the biggest the biggest learning experience is what what are the you know what are the priorities for you know when you're balancing a lot of different things when you have a high target it's how do you prioritize because in some situations somebody has to sit you know when you have multiple clients or multiple employees or multiple objectives and things don't go as planned what moves you know what takes second seat and third seat um, prioritization I mean I can think of a uh, you know stories where you know, we, we sold uh, two massive projects and, you know, they both ended up kicking off at the same time. And, you know, it was, it was my idea that we were going to be able to manage and run both of them. Um, and then what happened with COVID was, you know, we had to set a crew, uh, you know, a crew of guys that, that, you know, had to go, go off the job because the job site uh, had an outbreak, not by our crews, but they had to get tested. And, and so, you know, it was a, it was a, probably a poor call on my end to split things so thin instead of focusing and having an honest conversation um, about what we can accurately achieve, even if, you know, for that general contract and that relationship, they didn't love the news. I mean, it, he, he had too many people on the job and ended up getting shut down anyway. So I, I should have been the one to say, you know what, we're, we're, I have my crew. I'm going to have a big crew here. We're going to do this really quick and then we're going to come to you. Um, huge, you know, huge growth opportunity there. Um, even in the residential sector, I think it was, you know, the biggest thing that held me back was was not being willing to take that next step. I think we get invitations in this industry, and I think if you think back to kind of your career, you, I like to think of it as invitations, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you'll be doing work for a residential client, right, let's say, and they'll invite you into the commercial world. Or if it's commercial, it's public. If it's, you know, or if it's commercial, it's a job bigger than you've ever done before. Um, and I think it's really, really important to take those invitations, tie them back to your paradigm, and to really think about them because that's what it is—an invitation, um, and not, you know, if you if your biggest job you've ever done is ten million dollars and you get an invitation to do a fifteen million dollar job, it's probably worth thinking about because mm-hmm. that might be an invitation for you to go to the next level. And, and you know, it's it's 
I, if you look back at like psychology and you talk about like different things people are afraid of and you know, the unknown is, is one of the top ones. Uh, we always say, uh, number two is always public speaking. Oh no. Number two, number one is usually been public speaking. Number two is usually death, <laughs> which is funny because I'd rather die than to speak publicly, <laughs> but, but it's, it's funny how, like, uh, f how much fear controls people, you know? And uh, I fight it every day. Sometimes I, you know, you get, you fight the fear of not being comfortable. You know, that's the comfortability is the hard thing, you know? So, uh, um, so what's the future of your business? You know, for us, it's, it, we're going to scale up those, those three sectors. Um, you know, I want to take the brand and train all the masonry companies across the country in what we're doing. Um, because again, I'm looking at the industry now. Um, then I want to help homeowners. So we're doing that. The undercover contractor, the book for homeowners, the podcast for homeowners, um, you know, my family's been invested in this industry for over 102 years, and it's time as as I grow and continue to grow this company to really start looking at who's in need the most. And I think, you know, there's a lot of masonry contractors, you know, commercial, public, residential that are stuck, uh, and we're not stuck. You know, we're, we're growing year over year, and it's phenomenal. But it's how do I give back to you know other other masonry contractors or other um, you know homeowners? looking at it from that level. I mean, we're, you know, we'll continue to grow in Los Angeles and maybe uh, move throughout the state, have a few more locations, but I think the mission and purpose is much bigger than just what, you know, what can the bar masonry do in terms of, you know, physical work. Well, no one, no one could claim you don't think big. So, <laughs> so I, no, I, I give you credit because it, that's a, that's a big vision. And I'm, I'm, uh, um, the, I think the difference between you and other people is that you, actually are willing to go through the task to get it to where it needs to go. And because you have that passion and that desire. So you can't teach passion, you know? So, no. um, so we're, we're to our speed round and our speed round, we're going to, you know, I want you to rate these different categories of construction on a one to 10 scale, one being the least 10 being the best, most important. They could all be tens, you know? So okay. that's okay. Um, but I, I just want to get your perspective on it. So we'll go ahead and kick it off with scheduling. Scheduling a nine. A nine. And why would you say scheduling is a nine? Because I think that there's, there's, it's very important, but I wouldn't say it's the most important thing mm -hmm. because if it's going to sacrifice quality, uh, it's not worth it. I mean, it ties back to the COVID example, right? Or, or, or it causes more problems. Um, you know, so it's, it's very important, but there is that those few examples and times where it's like, look, you know, I'm not willing to put my crew there for this reason. Schedule's going to have to wait. Estimating. Estimating. I mean, that's a 10. That's, that's, I mean, if you're, if you're off on your numbers, it sets the expectation. The schedule's built off the estimate. I mean, that's, that's huge. Paramount. So the next one I have is contracts and contract administration contracts talking about the paper contract itself and contract administration execution of that contract you know i I'd, I'd love to say it's a one you know when i grew up as a kid it was you know even on the bigger stuff it wasn't as it wasn't as important but i, I would say it's a 10 nowadays to really mm -hmm. have a clear expectation uh of what you're looking to do um what about design in terms of I mean, yeah, designing any element, um, I mean, because that affects the estimate. It affects the schedule. I mean, they're all integral. Yeah, I would say that's a 10. Um, accounting. 
probably another 10. I mean, they're all, I'm a 10. I'm going to probably be your 10 across the board. I'm a, that's, yeah. What about, I, mean, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask you anyhow. Uh, it's selling work or business development. 10. I mean, you owe it to your team and to, to do great work for your clients too. And last but not least, leadership. Oh, man, 10. Yeah. Well, I want to, Matt, I want to thank you. Um, I had a chance to do a little background uh, on you and just talking with you here today. Uh, I'm very impressed with uh, what you guys bring to the table. Um, you you have taken something that has gone through your family and taken it to the next level. And uh, that's a great thing. And the fact that you like moved across the country, although I'm not – LA is a cool place. No, no question, but, uh, I'd probably prefer Boston if you ask me, <laughs> even without the weather. Okay. Without the weather. But, but, uh, I just, I want to commend you for that. Cause, uh, I, you're not just a professional, uh, you're a professional that has this keen sight on learning and growing and never set no never uh being satisfied for where you're at and uh that's just a formula for success altogether so i want to give you the last word like i do all my uh all the people we interview on the podcast yeah no i just i truly appreciate being here it's uh it's humbling to to talk with you and to share my story and you know i'm hoping that it offers a lot of value to our listeners um and yeah, I mean, there's a, one of my mentors, I remember he said to me something and it doesn't apply to everything, but I think it's interesting. And he said to me when I was asking him about trying some new marketing things and really growing the business. And he said, if you can, you must. And so it's an interesting perspective on, on digging deep internally and asking yourself, do you really feel like you can do it? Um, and if so, and, and again, there's, we'll take it with a grain of salt, but mm-hmm. I think it's a powerful saying when you're when you're looking at something and evaluating that fear factor you talked about um as if you know if it's a worthy goal if you can you must so it's an interesting perspective well that's a great way to end our podcast uh, today if you can you must that's a great that's a great one and i want to thank you again matt and i want to thank our audience tune in next week for another uh, episode of connex mm-hmm.